How many can say amen this morning? Amen. Everyone got an outline? Yes. Let's begin. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelations chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. This morning, we are going to begin a seven part study. Yes, I said seven on the seven letters to the seven churches found in Revelations chapter two and three in Revelations chapter two and three. The Lord Jesus Christ gave the apostle John, who was the author of the book of Revelation, seven different messages that were directed towards seven different churches located in Asia Minor. Now, when you hear the word Asia Minor, the first thing we think about is China, um, Japan, India, that part of Asia. But the truth is, Asia Minor in John's day was a province in modern day Turkey. And so these seven churches were located in what we know today as Turkey. Now, each of these seven churches had their own strengths and their own weaknesses and their own needs. And so Jesus, as the head of the church, understanding their conditions, sends them these personal messages or personal letters that we find here in chapter 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. Jesus was concerned about his bride, the church. And so he sent her personal love letters to encourage her, to comfort her, and to correct her. You know, I always like to look at these two chapters, chapters two and three, as love letters from Jesus to his bride. I know that me personally, every time my wife writes me a love letter, I get excited. My, my heart begins to get all butterflies. You, you know what I'm saying? So think of it as Jesus, as the heavenly husband, sending these love letters to his bride, the church. And so for the next seven weeks, We're going to read these messages, these letters. We're going to study them. And more importantly, we are going to learn from them. You see, these letters were written primarily for the seven churches in Asia Minor, but they were also written personally for every member of the Church of Christ. As we're going to see Each letter, each message has this phrase in it. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit has to say to the churches. And so if you have an ear, these letters are for you. How many of you this morning have ears? Amen. So these letters, these messages are for you some of us have ears bigger than others but the letter is still for all of us and so 
This morning, we're going to study them. We're going to learn from them. And we're going to see what the spirit has to say to us. You know, it's sad, but oftentimes these letters, these messages are neglected by the church. You know, it's very rare that pastors take the time to teach from them, study them and share them with their congregation. But as the bride of Christ, we need to pay close and careful attention to these love letters. Because like I said earlier, they're sent by our heavenly husband. And it's important that we understand what Jesus is trying to communicate and share to his church. And so this morning, let's begin. And we're going to begin by looking at the first message, the first letter. And it's sent to the church of Ephesus. And it's found in the first seven verses of chapter two. Now, before I begin, I just want to say this. I want you to take your little outline and I want you to briefly look at it with me. If you can, if you've noticed, I've written five points on the outline. It starts with point number one and it ends with point number five. Now, for the most part, And there's only a few exceptions. This is the basic outline or structure of each message or letter. The Lord begins each message or each letter with a description of himself. We learn something about Jesus in each message and in each letter. Now, after describing himself, the Lord takes the time to commend his church or gives them a a word of praise. You might say the Lord takes the time to share with them what they're doing right, what he's proud of them about. And he kind of gives them a little pat on the back saying, good job, a, a word of commendation. But after that, the Lord then takes the time to share A word of correction. In other words, the Lord takes the time to share with the church what they're doing wrong and what needs to be corrected. Now, after that, the Lord takes the time to share with them a word of exhortation. All that simply means is he tells them what to do to correct their problem, to get where They need to be. And finally, the Lord gives each church a promise. And so these five points that you have on your outline. Except for a few messages is the basic structure and outline of each letter of each message. You know, that's one thing I love the book of Revelation so much. Is because God made it so easy for us to understand it. The whole book has a basic structure and outline. And it just flows so simplistic. I don't know why so many people say I don't understand Revelation. Well, probably because you're not reading it. Because it's not too hard to understand. And so that's the basic outline of each message. And this morning we're going to begin. 
by looking at the first one to the church of Ephesus. And so if you have your Bibles, everyone has their Bibles. Amen. Let's begin in verse one and we're going to read down to verse seven and we're going to look at the letter to the church of Ephesus. This is what it says to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Right. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Amen. What a message, huh? How many of you can say, man, that's a message, Adam? It's a pretty interesting letter. Now, this morning, we're going to examine the letter to the church of Ephesus. Now, if you have your Bible still open in verse one, the Lord begins his message by saying to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Right now, the word angel is the Greek word angelos, and it simply means a messenger. That's what the word angel means. It means a messenger. Now, typically, this word in the Bible is used to describe heavenly messengers, what we know as angels, as heavenly beings. Angels. But on a few occasions in the Bible, we see that this Greek word is used to describe human messengers. And we see that in Mark chapter 1, verse 2, Luke chapter 7, verse 24, and chapter 9, verse 52. So the word can refer to, and it most always does, heavenly messengers, but there are occasions where it refers to human messengers. And here in chapter 2, verse 1, the word is probably referring to human messengers. And so many believe, including myself, that when the Lord says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, the Lord was making reference to the pastor or the spiritual leader, the, the teacher of the church of Ephesus. And so I just want to start by saying that. For no one is confused about that verse. Now, the city of Ephesus 
It was the largest, the most important, the most popular city in the Roman province of Asia Minor. It was a very big city. Historians tell us probably had a population of about a quarter of a million people, 250,000. And it was the center for trade, for religion, for culture, for business. Ephesus was like the New York or LA of all that area of ancient Turkey. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, and if you've taken the time to read it and study it, you would recall that the church of Ephesus was founded by the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 18, verse 19, we read that Paul visited the city at the end of his second missionary journey. And then when you read chapter 19 of the book of Acts, you learn that Paul went back to Ephesus during his third missionary journey. And the Bible teaches us that Paul spent two years in the city of Ephesus teaching and preaching the word of God. And so it was the apostle Paul who founded this church that the Lord makes reference to. And if you even recall, and if you even know your Bible, you would know that later on in his life, as he was imprisoned in Rome, Paul sent a letter to the church of Ephesus. Does anyone know what we call that letter? The book of Ephesians. How many of you have ever read the book of Ephesians? Take time to read it, study it, because it's a fabulous book. But that book, that letter was directed towards this church whom the Lord is making reference to. Now, after Paul, Ephesus was blessed to have Timothy serve and and minister to them. In in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul tells us that he left Timothy in Ephesus to minister to the saints. And even church history tells us that after Timothy, the apostle John himself served and lived in the city of Ephesus. How many of you have ever read the gospel of John? John wrote that gospel in the city of Ephesus. And even historians tell us that he wrote first, second, and third John also in this city. And so the city of Ephesus, they were a blessed city, a blessed church. They had Paul, they had Timothy, and they even had John serving and ministering amongst them. And so This morning, we want to look at this letter and we want to do so by looking at five things concerning it. And so if you have your Bibles open, your your outline out, let's look at the first thing. And if you're still with me this morning, what if you say amen? Amen. All right. Sounds good. That was a good amen. (laughs) First thing we want to look at is the description of Christ. The Lord describes himself to us in two ways. He describes himself 
to the church of Ephesus, excuse me, in two ways. First, he describes himself as he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Now, don't get confused by that, but let me explain. In Revelations chapter 1, verse 20, we read that the seven stars symbolize the seven angels to the seven churches. So these seven stars, they symbolize or they represent the pastors or the leaders of the church. And so the first way the Lord describes himself is by having the pastors or the leaders of the church in his right hand. And as being the son of a pastor and as even being an assistant and a youth pastor, I say amen to that, that the Lord has us in his right hand. But listen to this family. The Bible also teaches us and the Lord himself teaches us that he has not only the pastors of the church, but every member of the church in his hand. John chapter 10 verses 27 and 28. The Lord tells us that he has his sheep in his hand and no one can snatch them away. And so as a follower of Jesus Christ, know this, the Lord has you in the palm of his hand. And family, that's the best place that you can be, in the palm of Jesus Christ. Amen. How many of you have ever seen a commercial by the company named Allstate? Allstate Insurance. Now, Allstate, their their marketing team is very creative and they have this saying, they have this phrase, you are in good hands with Allstate. Well, the truth is, you're not that good in the hands of Allstate because if something happens, you know, they raise up your insurance. And, And the truth is, Allstate can't protect you from getting into an accident. They might help you cover some bills, but they can't keep you from having an accident. So the truth is, it's a lie. It's a facade. You're not in good hands in all state. But the reality is, as a believer, we are in good hands in Christ's hands because Christ can protect us. He can keep us and he watches over us. Listen to this. I just want to share this with you briefly. The hand of Christ is a place of protection where we find safety. It's a place of affection where we find love and it's a place of formation where we find growth. The Lord protects us in his hand. He loves us and he cares for us in his hand and he also molds us as a potter molds clay in his hand. And family, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else but in the hands 
of Christ. Amen. Isn't it so comforting to know that this morning you're in the hands of Jesus? Isn't that so comforting? No, doesn't that bless your heart? I know it blesses my heart. I'm in good hands in Jesus's hands. We should make that a shirt or something. Amen. Now, the second way the Lord describes himself is he describes himself as he who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So first, the Lord tells us that he has the seven stars in his hand. And then the next thing he tells us is that he's walking in the midst of the golden lampstands. Now, in Revelations chapter 1, verse 20, the Lord tells us that the lampstands represent the churches. That's the whole significant. And that's a good symbol for the church because we, like a lamp, are light. The light of the world. And so the Lord describes himself, secondly, as walking in the midst of the seven churches. And so this is the idea behind it. This is what the Lord wants us to learn. That he is present and he is active amongst his churches. He's aware of the needs in the church and he is ready and he is willing to meet those needs. Family, think about this, okay? This morning, Jesus is walking in our midst. This morning, Jesus is here. How do I know? Because he tells me. Because he has shown us. He's in our midst walking. And he's present and he's active. And this morning, Jesus wants to meet your need. You know, this morning, I think it's safe to say that all of us have come with a need. It might be a physical need. It might be an emotional need. Or it might be a spiritual need. But each and every one of us has come with a need or, or maybe a, a burden or a trial or a heartache. And isn't it so comforting to know that this morning Jesus is walking in the midst of us, ready and willing to meet that need? And this morning, all we have to do is open our hearts and ask Jesus for help and he will meet our needs because he's walking in the midst of the churches praise God for that what amazing description how amazing it is to think that every time we come to church and every time we gather as the body of Christ that the Lord Jesus is walking in our midst he's aware He's a conscience of what's going on and he's ready and willing to meet our needs. You know, this morning we didn't necessarily come to meet up with each other, but we came to meet up with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
because he's walking in our midst. And receive your healing this morning because the Lord is present and active. Amen. Amen. So the first thing we see is the description of Christ. Let's look now at the second thing. The word of commendation by Christ. After describing himself, the Lord takes the time to commend the church. In other words, the Lord takes the time to give them a word of praise. To let them know what they're doing right. And to commend them for it. And here in this message, the Lord commends the church in three ways. The Lord praises them for three things that they're doing. And let's look at them, family. They're, they're in your outline. Not hard to follow. First, the Lord commended them for their convictions. The church of Ephesus was a church of conviction. The Lord says this, you cannot bear those who are evil. The church of Ephesus, they hated sin. They couldn't stand those who were practicing sin. They were holy. They were set apart. They were pure. And the Lord Jesus took notice and he commended them. He gave them an applause and said, good job. You cannot bear those who are evil. They hated the things of this world. I want to say this as the church of Jesus Christ. And listen to this. We need to hate sin and we need to stay away from it. This morning, do you hate sin? Do you hate it? Do you despise sin? Isn't it sad to think that there's a lot of Christians in a lot of churches that they don't hate sin, but instead they welcome it. And that's, as we're going to see, that was a problem with a couple of churches. Compromise. Today in the church, we're not talking about holiness no more. We're not talking about purity, sanctification, being set apart. We don't talk about those things no more. What does the church talk about? This is what the church talks about. The Lord wants you to be rich. The Lord wants you to be healthy. The Lord wants to bless you with a nice car and an Italian suit. You know what I have to say to all that teaching? Garbage. I hate the prosperity gospel because it's a false gospel. The Lord doesn't so much want to make you rich, but the Lord wants you to be shaped and molded in the person of Jesus Christ. The Lord cares more about your holiness than your bank account. Amen. And that's, you know, a lot of people don't like that message, but that's the message of the scriptures. Look at what Paul said to Timothy. Let everyone who names the name of Christ. How many this morning name the name of Christ? How many this morning identify with the Lord Jesus? Amen. A few of us, all of us, many of us. Okay. 
if you identify with Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, this is for you. This is what Paul says. Depart from iniquity. If you're a follower of Christ, if you claim to be a Christian, you have been called to depart from iniquity. What does that mean? That means you've been called to be holy, to be pure, to be set apart. You've been called to hate sin, to despise sin, that when you see sin, when you hear sin, that you get upset, that you get angry, and you cannot bear it. And that was the church of Ephesus, a church of convictions. Now, the second thing the Lord commended them for was their discernment, their discernment. Read with me verse two. The Lord tells them, you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. So the church of Ephesus had great spiritual discernment. And this is what happened. A few guys showed up to this church and they were claiming to be apostles. They were claiming to be something special with a new message or a new revelation. But the church in Ephesus and the elders, the pastors, they remembered what Paul told them in Acts 20. As Paul gathered all the elders in Miletus and Paul warned them in the future, false teachers, false prophets are going to come and they're going to try to steer the church in the wrong direction. And the elders remembered the words of Paul. And so when these false apostles came on the scene, the first thing they did is they tested them with the word of God. They used discernment and they began to check if what they were hearing was matching with the word. And the truth is it wasn't matching with the word. And so they exposed them and they shunned away from them. And the Lord applauded them for it because they were a church of great, discernment you know the truth is today as the church as christians we need to be spiritually discerned we need to have discernment how many of you know that there's hundreds and thousands of false teachings false doctrines being taught and being spread in the world today amen You know, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not ashamed. I'm not scared to say this. TBN, there's many who are false teachers. Now, some of you might get upset with me, but listen to this. If it's not matching with the word, then it's false. False teaching, false doctrine. And we need to be careful what we hear what we see and we need to do what Paul told the church in Thessaloniki first Thessalonians chapter 5 verse I believe 
21, the Lord told the church this, test all things, hold fast to what is good. And so as a believer, we need to test everything, everything we hear, everything we say. We need to use spiritual discernment and we need to make sure that it's matching with the word. You know, I always tell my students, you know, don't believe everything that I say, but go home, search the scriptures and make sure it matches with the word. Because a lot of times, just because someone has a nice suit and tie and they're behind one of these, we kind of assume they're telling us the truth. But the truth is there's a lot of wolves disguised in sheep's clothing. And that's why we need to know the scriptures, study the scriptures, and we'll be able to expose the lies. Amen. Amen. So the Lord commended them for their discernment. Now, thirdly, he commended them for their labor, their labor. Read verse three with me. The Lord told them, you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. And so the Lord, you know, praised this church because they were a busy church. They were laboring faithfully, patiently, exhaustively for the name of the Lord. And I just would say this as the church of Christ and as followers of Christ, we need to be busy with the father's work. We need to be about the father's business and we need to faithfully labor for the Lord. As Christians, we need to be busy in service in ministry to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this. And this is something that I remind myself constantly. One day, our life here on the earth is going to be finished. How many of you know that? Well, I think all of us know that. One day, it's all going to be over. And this is what the Bible teaches. That the only thing that has eternal value is those things we do for Jesus. That's all that's going to last. One life, it will soon pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's the only thing that has eternal value. And that will carry over to eternity. And so with that in mind, like the church in Ephesus, we need to get to work. We need to labor for the Lord. We need to serve the Lord and minister before the Lord now more than ever. Because very, very soon it's all going to be over and only what you do for Jesus is going to last. And that's why the Lord tells us, store up treasures in heaven and not on earth. Because the truth is, the treasures here on earth, what's going to happen? They're all going to burn. But the treasures in heaven, the Bible teaches 
are incorruptible and they never fade away. And we need to be about the father's business. Amen. And so the Lord, he commends, he praises this church for their convictions. They couldn't bear evil. They hated sin for their discernment that they tested those self-proclaimed apostles and exposed them as liars. And he commended them for their labor. They labored exhaustively for Christ. You know, as you read this, you kind of get the impression, man, this is a good church. I wish Templo Victoria, you know, could be described like that. Well, hopefully, Lord willing, we are. You know, only the Lord knows. We're, we're trying by the grace of God. But all things weren't well. Because after you read all these words of praise, then we come to the word of correction. And that's in verse 4. Let's read the, the third thing. The word of correction. The Lord says this. Nevertheless. Now that's a reference to what we read in chapter 2 and 3. So what the Lord is saying. Okay, you've done all these good things. You have all have all these good works. Nevertheless. I have this against you. That you have left your first love. Ouch. That hurts. I have one thing against you. You have all the works. You have all the sound theology. You're faithfully ministering and serving exhaustively. But I have this one thing against you. You have left your first love. What a problem. That's a serious problem. Now, now, what's that a reference to? What's the reference to the first love? You know, some say it's a reference to the love amongst the church, amongst the brethren. Some say, well, it's a reference to the love for the lost, to the love for the non-believers. But the truth is, it's a reference to their love for Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord is talking about. You see, the church of Ephesus, they fell into the danger of what we call the routine. Now, I want you to remember this. What I'm telling you is so, so important. This church and these believers, everything became a routine for them. Everything. It was mechanical. They just went through the emotions and it was just a religion. They did their works. They had their theology, their doctrine, their discernment. They, they kept the commandments, the do's and don'ts. But they neglected their relationship with Christ. They neglected their first love. They neglected their time with Jesus. They neglected their time at Jesus' feet. They thought because they had the works, because they knew the songs, because they were keeping the commands, 
they thought they were okay. They thought because outwardly they gave this impression that they were religious and they were right. They thought everything was all good in the hood, if you want to say. But the truth is, the Lord, he saw through that. And the Lord understood that it had become a routine for them. And they neglected their first love. There was no passion. There was no fire. There was no excitement for the things of Jesus. It was just a routine. Go to church on Sunday. Go home. Go to church Sunday night. Go home. Go back on Wednesday. Go on Tuesday. Go on Friday. But it was just a routine. They weren't excited about the things of the Lord. It was just a religion. And the Lord corrected them. And the Lord condemned them. And he said, hey, you got the works. You're keeping the commands. You're, you got good theology. You got the doctrine. But you forgot about me. You forgot about our relationship. You've left your first love. And let me say this. Today, the churches are filled with Christians who have left their first love. The church is filled with Christians who they have the works, the ministry, all their laboring, they're serving. They have the theology. They know their doctrine like the back of their hand. But the truth is, there's no relationship with Jesus. Everything has become mechanical. Everything has become a routine. And the routine is the killer of relationships. Whether it's your relationship with, your, with the Lord, a relationship with your husband or wife, or even a relationship with friends and family. Routine kills relationships. And many Christians are in a routine. They come to church and this is their mentality. It's just another service. It's just another study. Oh, Adam, I've, I've read that. I've studied that. I've heard it. It's just another study. Some even have this mentality. It's just another altar call. Pastor always has an altar call. It's just another one. It's just a routine. And they've lost their first love. They've lost the excitement and the passion for Jesus. Their heart has grown cold. Their heart has grown dry. Their love has been snuffed out. And there's no love for Jesus and family. We need to protect ourselves from this. We need to guard our first love. We need to protect and keep our relationship with Christ. It's precious. It's, it's something so, so valuable. And we must not make it a routine. Listen to this. The Lord not only wants our hands, he not only wants our minds, 
But the Lord wants our heart. The Lord is more concerned with what we do with him than what we do for him. He has enough servants in heaven. He wants children. That's what he wants. And any time you put your service to the Lord before your time with the Lord, then you're falling in dangerous ground. And you need to repent. You need to wake up. And you need to go back to your first love. The Christian walk is so much more than a dead religion. It's a loving relationship. It is so much more than a routine. It is a life filled with excitement, joy, and wonder as we get to know the Savior. That's the Christian walk. It's exciting. It's fresh. New adventures and experiences every single day. And this morning, I simply want to say this. Make sure you're focusing on Jesus. If you're finding yourself, and we're going to talk about this a little more in the next point. But if you find yourself more focused on the church or more focused on maybe a study or theology or doctrines or a ministry more than Jesus, You need to take a few steps back and you need to return to your first love. And you need to understand and realize that the Christian walk is all about Jesus. It's all about falling in love with Jesus more and more every day. That's what the Christian walk is. You know, so many young people. They give their life to Christ and they come talk to me. And this is the first thing they ask me. And this has happened so many times. Adam, tell me what to do and tell me what not to do. Now that I'm a Christian, this is what they want me to do. They want me to make them like a new Ten Commandments with Adam's version. And they say, tell me what to do, Adam. Tell me what I can do. And tell me what I can't do. And right away I have to stop them. Because they're in the danger of thinking that it's a religion. Do's and don'ts. I can go here, but I can't go over here. And right away I stop them. And I say, hold up. Wait a minute. Take it easy. It's not about what you can do or can't do. But it's all about getting to know Jesus. That's what it's all about. Get to know Jesus. Seek Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. And he will tell you what you can do and what you can't do. And he will not only tell you, but he will help you. And he will give you the grace that you need to live this Christian life. It's all about a loving relationship with Jesus but this church in Ephesus they were neglecting it and they were focusing on other things and the Lord gave them this word of correction you've left 
your first love. You've neglected it. But the fourth thing we want to see is the Lord not only corrects them, but now the Lord exhorts them. And praise God, he tells them what they need to do. You know, that's one thing I I love about the scriptures is they not only share with you that there's a problem, but they always show you how to fix the problem. Amen. Isn't that so neat? Like the word of God, you're reading it. And sometimes it's just stabbing you and minister you and, and it's just breaking you. But it's so neat that as you continue to read it, it heals you and it repairs you. And it transforms you. And it not only tells you there's a problem, but it tells you how to fix the problem. And that's what the Lord does in the word of exhortation. Read with me verse 5. The Lord says, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. That was the exhortation. That was the solution For this church on how to return to their first love. The Lord in all actuality told them, hey, remember when you first got saved? Remember the excitement? Remember the joy? Remember your first works? How when you first came to the Lord, you were praying every day. You're reading the word. You never miss church. You remember those days where everywhere you went, you just shared about Jesus. Where when you woke up, you always woke up with a song of praise. When you went into the shower, there you were singing to the Lord. When you were driving to work, you had Christian music and just worshiping and praising the Lord. Do you remember those times? Do you remember those first works? The Lord says, Repent and go back to them. Go back doing what you were doing when you were madly in love with me. That's the exhortation. That's the advice that the Lord gives them. That's how they fix the problem. Go back and do what you were doing when you were in love with me. What were you doing? What was your your passion? What were you focusing on? Prayer, the word, fasting, fellowship, praise and worship. Every day, the Lord says, okay, do something. Go back. Go back to your first works. And this is what I want to say. Maybe someone here this morning, like the church of Ephesus, maybe you've neglected your first love. And maybe your your love for Jesus has grown cold. Maybe your love for Jesus has grown a little weak or a little dry. Maybe there's no more passion for Jesus. Maybe there's no more fire. There's no more Love for Jesus like there used to be. And if that's you this morning, and I'm believing that there could be some, this is what the Lord says. 
Remember where you have fallen, repent, and go do your first works. Go back and get your first love. That's what the Lord's telling us. Do something about it. Because oftentimes, Christians find themselves in this condition. And instead of doing anything about it, they stay in this condition. And they just say, oh, well, I'm just going through a season right now. Or it's just because I'm not feeling good. And there they are in this condition. No love, no passion for Jesus. And what happens is they're drifting more and more and more away from Christ. And the Lord tells you and the Lord tells me, don't stay in that condition. Do something about it. Repent. Stop what you're doing and go back to your first love. Return to where you were at when you first gave your life to Jesus. How many of us this morning remember when we first gave our life to Christ? How many? Do you remember the joy and the excitement we had? Do you remember that every time you came to church, you were excited? Didn't matter who was preaching. It didn't matter what songs were playing. We were excited about Jesus. All we knew is that Jesus loved us and he's forgiven us and he saved us. And everywhere we went, we had a smile on our face. But over the years, what happened? That smile has turned into a little frown. And there's no more excitement. But now all there is is complaining. I don't like how Adam's teaching. He's boring. He reads too much verses. He always makes me write notes. I want somebody more exciting. <laughs> Jonah, why do you play those songs? Why don't you play hymns? Don't you know they were written by the apostles? Play hymns, Jonah. Sing hymns. We get cold. We get weak. We get dry. And the excitement is gone. I'll be honest with you. I I love hymns, though. So don't misunderstand me on that. I love hymns. I I read hymns. I study hymns. They're a blessing. I I didn't mean that with no disrespect. You know, I am even starting a hymn collection, you know, at the house. (laughs) But all I'm saying Instead of focusing on the song, we need to focus on who we're singing it to. And we need to sing with our heart because that's what matters. And we need to return. We need to be free from this mentality and from this condition. And this morning, the Holy Spirit tells us, return, go back, go get your first love, family, Fight for your relationship with Jesus. How many are willing to fight for their relationship? You know, anytime a married couple has problems and they're going through times of trial, the first thing they need to decide is whether or not they're willing to fight for their marriage. 
They can just let things go and they'll separate or they can lift up their sleeves and they can say, I'm going to fight for my marriage. I want to get back my first love. Well, this morning, the Holy Spirit tells you and me, lift up your sleeves and fight for your relationship with Jesus. Don't stay in that condition, but get excited about the things of the Lord. Get excited about Jesus. Go back to your first works. Go back when everything was just about Jesus and fight for your relationship. And that's what the Lord told the church of Ephesus. And you guys want to know what's so sad about this exhortation? The church of Ephesus, they didn't obey. They didn't listen to what the Lord was telling them. And eventually, like the Lord said would happen, their lampstand went out. What does that mean? That the church disappeared in Ephesus. And if you visit Ephesus today, all you're going to see is a bunch of ruins. No church, no witness, no more lampstand. And I don't want that to be you. And I don't want that to be me. And this morning, we need to take serious what the Lord is telling us. Return to your first love. Go back. I'm waiting for you with open arms. I've missed you so much. And all I want to do, just love you. And be there for you. Come back. Return. May the Lord give us the grace to obey and to return to our first love. Amen. That's an important word that we need to hear. Let's finish up. And the last thing we want to look at is the promise by Christ. Jesus, and, and you're going to notice this as we study each of these letters or messages, Jesus always ends with a promise. And I kind of look at it like this. Jesus kind of ends giving us reasons why we should be excited about him and why we should be in love with him and passionate about him and why we need to listen and obey his exhortations. And the promise is found in verse 7. And let's finish our study by reading it, family. Jesus says, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, let me just share this. The question is always asked, what does Jesus mean when he says to him who overcomes? Who is that a reference to of? Who are the overcomers? Well, the best way to interpret scripture is by scripture. The best commentary of the Bible is the Bible. So in 1 John, and I wrote it in your notes, chapter 5, verse 5, John tells us 
that overcomers are all those who believe that Jesus is the son of God. So who are overcomers? Who is the Lord referring to? The Lord is referring to every genuine born again believer. If you've repented from your sins and received Christ as your personal savior, this morning you're an overcomer. You have victory in Jesus. You didn't seem too excited about that. You have victory in Jesus. You're an overcomer in Christ. And so to every genuine believer, to those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, here in verse 7, this is what Jesus promises them. Jesus promises them eternal life. That's what the tree of life that Jesus is referring to. That's what it's speaking about. Eternal life. It's speaking of never dying. It's speaking of spending eternity with God in heaven. You know, the tree of life is first mentioned there in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. Then as you read the scriptures and as you get to the book of Revelations, there it pops up again in Revelations chapter 22 in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens, in the new earth. And so when the Lord says to all those who overcome, I'm going to give you the privilege and the right to partake of the tree of life. What the Lord is saying I'm going to give you the privilege and the right to spend all of eternity with me in the new Jerusalem. And that's the promise that the Lord has given us as believers, eternal life. We deserve eternal condemnation, but the Lord has given us eternal life. And that's a reason why we need to be passionate about Jesus. And that's a reason why we need to return to our first love. You know, as I think about who Jesus is, and as I think about what he has done for me, all it does is it causes me to be more in love with him. And I just want to end by saying this. He Who has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What did the Spirit say to his church this morning? Return to your first love. Return to your first works. This morning, fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. This morning, Leave this sanctuary, leave those doors more in love with Jesus. And if you don't, stay here until you do. If you got to stay here all day, it's okay. We give you permission. If you need to spend time in the word, if you need prayer, if you want me to pray for you, whatever it takes to rekindle the fire and the passion for Jesus Christ. 
return to your first love. What a message. What a letter. How many of you enjoyed this message to the church of Ephesus? Well, if you did, return next Sunday. And we're going to look at the message to the church in Smyrna.